This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundant Success Series. Our primetime mastermind looks at psychiatric health. My guest is Dr. Hyler Cass, nationally acclaimed innovator and expert in the field of integrative medicine, psychiatry, and addiction recovery. She often appears as a guest on national radio and television, including Dr. Oz, E! Entertainment, The View, and in national print media. Dr. Cass is the author of several books. Some include Natural High, Supplements, Nutrition, and the Mind-Body Techniques, Eight Weeks to Vibrant Health, and Your Prescription, what your doctor doesn't know about nutrition. Today we talk about anxiety, depression, and bipolar disorder. To find out more about Dr. Cass, go to her website, drcass.com. Fascinating interview. Let's get to it. Dr. Cass, welcome to the show. A pleasure to be here. The attention that the media has right now on many disorders of the brain, the anxiety, depression, and bipolar but before we start in with our uh, segment here, I wanted you to tell our audience who you are and what you do, for those of us who may not know. Great. Uh, I'm Dr. Hyla Cass. That's H-Y-L-A-C-A-S-S. And I have been in practice for over 25 years as an orthomolecular psychiatrist. And uh, I won't make you spell that. Uh, <laughs> what I do is, is help people go to the root cause of their biochemical causation of mood disorders. Now, usually when psychiatrists say they go to the root cause, they're looking at childhood issues. And yes, I'm trained in all that, but what I really do is look at the biochemistry because there's a really close relationship there between mood and chemistry. And again, you don't have to learn chemistry for you to do this. What I do is help people... Uh, determine what nutrients, what supplements, vitamins, minerals, amino acids to take in order to get their brain back in uh, good order. Uh, it's pretty amazing, this genetic predispositions to uh, mental health problems, but you don't have to live out your genetic typing. There's something called epigenetics, and with the right diet and nutrition, we can actually change your genetic expression. So you don't have to be whatever it is that your genes have determined based on what you were given at birth and based on what your family tends to have. You know, things run in families, as we know, mm-hmm. depression, bipolar, but you don't have to live that out if you know how to carry it, how to, how to treat it. I'm well trained. I went to the University of Toronto School of Medicine, then did uh, my internship at County USC Medical Center, and uh after that, uh, did child and family psychiatry at Cedar Sinai UCLA. And since then, I've been in practice. I was, at, was quite some time since clinical professor at UCLA School of Medicine. And right now, I do a great deal of speaking, teaching, writing. I've written quite a few books, including Natural Highs, uh, The Addicted Brain and How to Break Free, Eight Weeks to Vibrant Health, and several others. And it's all can be found on my website. CASSMD.com, that's C-A-S-S-M-D.com. The other thing I do is really help people get off of medication. You know, people are just prescribed too much medication when what's really needed is uh, a nutritional intervention, a biochemical natural intervention. And it's really sad to see so many people on so many medications when 
often the meds are not, not only not solving the problem, but actually making it worse. I'm not against medication. I'm just finding that a lot of the time people actually do better on the natural approach. And I'm located in Southern California and have been speaking, teaching, writing, and practicing about this for many, many years. So I'm, I'm so glad to have the opportunity to talk to you, to you and your audience about this. Beautiful. Why the attention on brain health? We see PBS specials and uh, even magazines now dedicated to brain health. And uh, I just find it fascinating. We're learning so much about the brain and that we don't use as much of our brain. I'm even reading Scientific Mo uh, American Mind, which is a magazine. It's a special edition, and they're talking about the mad science of creativity in the brain. Why, why the attention right now on the brain? That's, I have no idea, really, it seems to be the last bastion. They've, been, they've spent so much attention on every other organ of the body, and I guess it's time for the brain. And it may have to do with the boomers getting older, and we're having mm -hmm. more brain disorders, we're having more dementia, because as people get older and they haven't taken care of themselves, have eaten the wrong foods, not exercised, Whatever it is besides your genetic disposition, we are seeing, of course, more dementia, more Alzheimer's disease. And it's perhaps worried the boomer scientists enough, or at this point, it's, it, the children are starting to be scientists, too. They, the children of the boomers have grown up, and they're now working in the professional world. So hard to know. But we also, I think another issue is that the, the drugs have not really kept the promise. So people are on drugs for years and years in order to correct, say, depression or bipolar illness, and they're not working so well or causing such severe side effects that people don't want to take them. So, right. again, we need, we need to go look at kind of primary principles here. Now, there are, uh, there's a mind-body connection, uh, meaning mind, mood, and neurotransmitters, and I wanted you to talk briefly, because um, I know that there's, there's so many, but uh, what are neurotransmitters and, and what do they do in that brain? Neurotransmitters are the chemical messengers that carry messages from one brain cell to another. Because the fact is that it's uh, the way we're wired, the way the brain works, is each neuron is actually independent. We have trillions of neurons in our brain. I mean, it's quite amazing. And they actually connect to each other through a space between them called a synapse. And the way a, neuro, a neuron is triggered is that a neurotransmitter pops from one brain cell to the next through the synapse, through this liquid that everything is floating in. And your brain is actually kind of the consistency of jello, in fact. So uh, when you take, uh, when you want to uh, send mm -hmm. a message, say a happy message, uh, whatever whatever message needs to be carried out, uh, you, the brain sends neurotransmitters like serotonin or norepinephrine, epinephrine, acetylcholine, dopamine, from one brain cell to another, and depending on which brain neurotransmitter it is, it'll go to a different neurotransmitter receptor site. So it's very much a lock and key situation. Hmm. It's pretty amazing. It does sound fascinating. You were talking about, um, you know, 
the medications not working, before we get into the medications and the fixes, we hear a lot about the anxiety and depression and bipolar. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about, in, in definition, what each of these are, specifically bipolar. We've heard a lot about anxiety and depression, but um, I want to hear your take on all three. Okay, well, uh, depression, when people are depressed, it, they, they feel sad, lonely, tend to isolate, tend to overeat or undereat, have poor sleep, um, and generally withdraw from society, don't enjoy the things they used to enjoy. And this can be serious because it can lead to suicidal thinking and actually suicidal behavior. So you really want to treat this. And besides, it's just, you're just not enjoying life when you're depressed. So that's depression. Uh, and there's different levels of depression. There's major depression and minor depression where one is more of a dysthymia, just a general overall not feeling happy, not feeling like you want to participate in the world very much, low energy. And then there's major depression that is a lot more serious so people barely can get out of bed in the morning and mm. stay in bed, isolate, and in fact, as I said, may have suicidal thinking. Then we get to anxiety, and anxiety is often a part of depression. The people that are depressed often are also anxious, and that's that worried, overstimulated feeling that you just don't feel comfortable, you're irritable, and just not right. Uh, and the fact is that there's, as I'm talking about this, I'm thinking that, you know, so much of this is, for example, when you think of PMS, you think of irritability and anxiety, and that's hormonal. So, again, there's always a physiological correlation to the mental or so-called mental or emotional problem. Then you get to bipolar. Bipolar consists of mood swings and the different kinds of bipolar. There's bipolar where, in fact, you tend to just be depressed, but it's still considered bipolar when you uh, cycle, continually cycle into these depressions. Uh, more commonly, it's cycling from the very low depression to what's called mania or hypomania. And the condition used to be called manic depressive illness, if you can remember that. Uh, but it's been changed to be called bipolar. And in the manic phase, you're, uh, it could be hypomanic, which is just hyper-excitable, uh, lots of ideas, lots of creativity, staying up late, or maybe even all night, uh, shopping in a not very a practical way, over-shopping, spending too much money, uh, being hypersexual. All of these are with, occur with, it could be hypomania all the way through mania, where you're up all night, spending everything, have no boundaries, and are really not in touch with reality. So that that is also a continuum. So you have the mood swings, you have the um, behavior going all the way into psychosis. And you know, it's kind of, it's all a continuum. And sometimes people are just really creative and maybe a little bit manic, but maybe they don't want to be treated because they're afraid it's going to take the edge off their creativity. So that's another issue that as a psychiatrist uh, I need to deal with and see, well, how much of it is normal, how much of it is their personality, and how much of it really needs to be treated as a as an illness. When you talk about the manic, you talked about the manic stage. You talked about psychosis. Are delusions part of that? Yes, yes. 
uh, people can be quite delusional when they're in a, in a manic phase, think they're, that God's talking to them, think they are God, think that they're getting special messages and that they are going to save the planet. Uh, and it looks like it's, you know, it could be schizophrenic. And in the old days, before we had the diagnosis pinned down of bipolar, many of these patients were diagnosed as schizophrenic. But the truth is they were only that way during that manic phase. Uh, they had their delusions, but it was delusions of grandeur or delusions of self-reference. You can be manic and be afraid that people are after you and there are big plots. Anyway, it can, it can get pretty wild. And in these situations, people are often hospitalized for their own protection. Mm. So that, that is a, a serious condition. Well, I know and have read that many people can medicate to get themselves back in balance with the coffees and alcohols or they may overeat. Some people may do the prescription drugs. I would think that that's a, a good percent of people mm-hmm. who have the mental illness, right? Yes. Yeah. People tend to, are you saying they self, tend to self-medicate? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it, this is a very interesting thing. We find a lot of people drink or use abuse drugs in order to feel normal, because that's what they can get their hands on. That's mm-hmm. what you're and that's what makes you feel good. And if something makes you feel good, you keep doing it, and then if you keep doing it, you become addicted. The brain has these mechanisms whereby they do become addicted to the to the whatever the substance of abuse is. So that's not not a good thing to happen, because then you're not you're not treating naturally. You're treating um, in a way, it's natural because you're not you're getting a prescription drug, but you're actually making the problem even worse. Wow. Now, the traditional method is with medications and some therapy. You're saying that these medications for disorders, they, you know, really don't work a good percentage of the time. What are some of these traditional methods that are being uh, used right now that are being called to question? Well, there was a study a number of years ago uh, that shows, actually not not too long ago, it showed that the antidepressants were not really doing their job of countering depression and that it was largely placebo effect. Compared to a placebo, it was just about even. You could just, you might as well just give someone a placebo or a gummy pill and they would get the same result. And this was through the, uh, what's called a meta-analysis uh, the researcher evaluated uh, different studies for a total of approximately 1,700 patients involved. And it turned out that, for the most part, the antidepressants were pretty much placebo effect. But placebos were side effects. You know, the, 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 the bad news is that you, you may be getting a placebo effect, but you're also having all these really nasty side effects. Now, if something's working and you have side effects, you may have to just compromise uh, or treat the side effects in some other way. But just having something that isn't really working and then you're treating the side effects with other drugs that are also causing problems just is not the answer. And I have found over the years that the best answer really is to look at the individual's own chemistry. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, I think that is the solution to do a biochemical, uh, individualized program. 
Now, you're talking about everybody's own chemistry, hormonal. Um, you're looking at, uh, you know, amino acids and foods and different things that you do naturally. Um, in terms of breaking with the traditional medications and whatnot, I know that's dangerous to do, but can it be done safely? It can. I'm so glad you asked because I never would take people off their meds, cold turkey, or recommend that people do that at home at all. It has to be done gradually and uh, really watching for withdrawal symptoms because withdrawal can be pretty serious and very uncomfortable and not necessary if you do it, first of all, slowly, second of all, accompanied by specific nutrients that help to balance the brain so that you don't have this withdrawal. Hmm. Now, in your protocol of doing this, you were talking in your one of your books. I, I've been reading about the role of vitamins and nutrients, and we are what we eat. Many people don't understand uh, that whole mind-body connection and food. Can you take us into that? Sure. Uh, what's, what's interesting is our whole society is really addicted to sugar, and it's not because people are weak or dumb or whatever. It's really that the food industry has created the sugar addiction in us. Because first of all, mm-hmm. as human beings, we evolved to be potentially addicted to sugar, to sweet things. And when you think of it, you know, if we were um, unable to find food, we had a forage for food. This is going way back, you know, to the um, to our cave people forebears. And these people did not have a regular supply of food. So they had to forage, and the things that gave them quick energy were things like fruits, berries, uh, vegetables that have carbohydrates, those little slower release. But people actually learned that those were the things that made them feel good, that gave them energy, that actually helped them to survive. And it's built in. They're actually receptors, they're sugar receptors. And we like sweet things. And it, it's actually part of our physiology to like sweet things. However, this whole thing can become an addiction when we're given a lot of sweet things. And I say given because there's so many sugars that are hidden in our foods. And you might want to comment on that, too. I'm sure you've talked about it. How oh, most definitely. But I, I, I was taken everything. off sugar as a kid. I was taken off sugar as a child. Uh, I hated my doctor. <laughs> just, of course, you don't know all the all the medical lingo, ling, uh, lingo when you're a kid. You know, uh, I was hypoglycemic, but uh, he took me off all oh, wow. sugars except for natural sugars. And um, I think I'm better off today for it because a lot of traditional foods and cakes and whatnot, I can only take a bite. It's way too sweet for me. That's interesting. That's exactly what I mean because the the industry has actually trained us to like things that are sweeter and sweeter and sweeter, including the sweeter, sweetening baby formula. Like, this is babies need to do that, you know, right? Like, the care, they have something to compare it to, but it's actually creating, it's really insidious, creating a desire for sweet things at a very young age, moving into the baby foods and the toddler foods, and then, of course, advertising heavily to children and kids want sweets. That's what they crave because they've been trained on them. And 
All of that sugar is really bad for us. It develops, first of all, we have an insulin response to it, and having too much insulin circulating in the body is not a good idea. You know, we hear about insulin being a good thing when you're diabetic and you don't seem to have enough of it. There's an issue. Uh, the truth is, there is enough. In, in uh, type 2 diabetes, there is enough sugar. There is enough insulin, I'm sorry. But the there's insulin resistance because there's so much sugar and there's so many, um, so much demand for insulin getting the response to take the sugar into the cells that eventually the insulin just stops responding. So you have excess blood sugar, excess insulin, and guess what? You have type 2 diabetes. And we are seeing a terrible, terrible epidemic of it. And again, I'm sure you can comment on that. Yeah, um, and you're seeing uh, diabetics that are children. Uh, it used to be adult onset diabetes. Uh, yeah. Now you're you're seeing diabetes in kids and and young adults, and it's increasing the disability pool. Absolutely. I mean, really small children that are overweight, actually mm -hmm. obese, and with type two diabetes. Now, when I went to medical school. We saw type 2 diabetes beginning in middle age. That's when it started. People were not eating the tons of sugar that they're eating now. And it's taken a terrible toll on our health. And it also, by the way, sugar is cancerogenic. I mean, the first thing somebody who's diagnosed with cancer ought to do is stop eating sugar because it feeds the cancer. And a good way to prevent cancer is to be sugar-free. And when I say sugar-free, I mean all, all sugars. Doesn't sugar make um, depression worse? It does in that you can have a quick, this is the insidious thing about it. You take, have some sugar, you're feeling depressed, you have some sugar, and your immediate response is, oh, it feels good. It hits the receptors in the brain and is this feeling of an instant high, an instant satisfaction. And when you're really depressed, boy, you want to get that hit. You know, it's like a hit of a drug. Like, oh, that feels good. And the only thing is, it's not really your friend because not too long after that hit, it's going to let you down. Not a good friend, you know. Good friends don't let you down. But sugar acts like it's your friend and then it does let you down and you go into a worse depression. And so often, in fact, when I see people who are depressed, they actually do have a blood sugar disorder. They are on this roller coaster. And the treatment is to remove sugar from their diet so that they can start having a more regular supply of glucose to the brain, but not through this quick-release instant sugar that is not good for you. And, you know, you, you can say the same thing of when you were a kid and you were mad at your doctor for taking you off sugar. But I would imagine that it took you um, a fairly short time till you, then you adjusted and you weren't craving sugar. I mean, I'm, like, I'm curious. Because that's what I see in my practice. That initially, it's, oh, no, oh, my God, I can't, I can't get off it. And they have to be really, like, practically diabetic to do that in some cases. But once they go off it, it's like they're okay. What's your experience? Hmm. We hear a lot of this gluten-free, this, that, and the other thing, but there are other foods that aren't obviously sugar that uh, turn into sugar, like, you know, white rice and cereals and other things that uh, break down quickly in the body, too, that can be affecting mood. 
Yeah, these are all the simple carbohydrates. And so when people go off of simple carbohydrates, they may feel surprised for the first few days. But actually what I do is give people chromium and other nutrients that actually help to get the sugar into the cells where it belongs and, and to even out the insulin and sugar balance so that people are no longer having sugar swings, which leads to mood swings. So they actually have a much more even mood throughout the day, sleep better at night, feel better all around, have better energy. And all of this by regulating blood sugar. And I, have, I can't emphasize enough, regulating blood sugar does not mean eating sugar. It means not eating sugar. Your body will supply it from other things like vegetables, uh, fruit. Even too much fruit is not a good idea when you're in this transition. Uh, and you'll get sugar even from protein. Your body can make sugar from protein. You will have enough. You're not going to be deprived and you're not going to drop dead from your lack of sugar, even though you might feel like it when you're in a, a sugar panic. And by the way, let me explain what a sugar panic is. When people go into a hypoglycemic state, what happens is that's when that sugar drops. Remember I said it wasn't your friend, it drops you? Well, <clears throat> when your blood sugar drops down like that, there is a response in the body called an adrenaline response. Your adrenals kick in, and, and you go into this panic, and it feels like, I've got to have it or I'm going to die. It really feels that way. And that's built in, because when you think of somebody out in the savannah, you know, the um, hunter-gatherer who was needing food, and it wasn't there, they could, it could be life-threatening. So they would, the adrenaline release then causes this hyper reaction and the adrenaline response rapid heart rate sweaty palms uh, all your blood flow goes to the periphery of the body into the large muscles into your eyes so you can see better uh, and so you really can just react more um, more quickly the fight or flight response it's the same response that you get when you're uh, again, going back to primitive people, because that's how we evolved. If you were going to be, if you were being chased by a tiger, what would happen? You'd release adrenaline, fight or flight. You're either going to fight your enemy or flee. And in this case, probably a good idea to flee. So that's the same response you get when your blood sugar dips. So no wonder you feel like you're going to die if you don't have sugar. But that's, you're not going to die if you don't have sugar. You are going to die if you continue eating that terrible diet, though. So, I mean, we're all going to die sometime, but this helps it happen sooner, and it's not so pleasant either because you develop type 2 diabetes, you may develop cancer, uh, and, and so on. You know, it's just not a happy time. So people feel so much better when they can get themselves off the sugar. And as I said, I, there are, are formulas that I give people, nutritional formulas that actually help regulate the sugar. And, boy, does that make a difference. And they can really look at sugar and take it or leave it. Believe it or not. Yeah, I found when I was able to get off the sugar, uh, one of the treatments that I had, and you talk about in your book, that B vitamins being, you know, very important. We hear a lot about nerve function and B12. Can you talk about the B vitamins and how they help the brain and help the body? B vitamins are extremely important in so many ways, and you know how 
people have stress Bs, stress B vitamins, because in stress we use more of the B vitamins in making those hormones. I mentioned adrenaline. Uh, well, the B vitamins also help to make your neurotransmitters, that is, your brain chemistry. And the fact is that if all your B vitamins are going to make stress hormones, you're not going to have enough left to make your neurotransmitters, the serotonin, the dopamine, acetylcholine. So it's important in these cases, and in fact in most cases, to, to make sure you're taking a really good multivitamin that has a high level of B vitamins in it. And, and by the way, any vitamins that I recommend, and in fact I've actually formulated some, uh, I always make sure I have enough B vitamins in them. Uh, for example, my two-a-day multi, even though it's only two vitamins a day, two pills a day, because some people don't want to take the whole, you know, six a day that is probably needed. Uh, but these two-a-days pack in enough B vitamins to, for them to work. And it also has methylfolate, um, because some people are actually what are called poor methylators. And I'm not going to get too technical here, but they need a certain kind of B vitamin, a certain kind of folic acid that is already metabolized to the methyl form because some people have a defect, a genetic defect that doesn't allow them to convert folic acid into the active form and so they need to have the active form already given to them in the form, as I said, of methylfolate. I even have it in my, you know, my brain recovery AM and PM packets that I use for depression, bipolar, addiction recovery. I actually have methylfolate in the multivitamin that are in, that's in those packets. So I'm really watching for people's brain chemistry, and I do everything I can to help regulate it. I have chromium in all my vitamins because that helps to regulate blood sugar. I have glutamine in some of them, especially in the brain recovery, because glutamine helps balance blood sugar. And in fact, uh, if you have a craving, if it's for sugar or even for alcohol, this is a really good trick. I'm going to stop, and this is a I'm going to pause and, and say it again. A really good trick, if you're craving a drink and you're trying to stop drinking, if you're craving sugar, take a capsule of glutamine, a 500 milligram or a 1,000 milligram capsule of glutamine, open it up under your tongue and let the powder just absorb it through the mucosa under your tongue. It doesn't taste bad. It tastes kind of sweet. And it goes to your brain and... Lo and behold, you don't feel the craving anymore. So I think that's a very simple solution. Again, I, I carry uh, glutamine on my website, which is cassmd.com, C-A-S-S-M-D.com. Uh, I've had a woman, this is so funny, I had a woman write into me after hearing me speak about uh, my book, Eight Weeks to Vibrant Health, and she mentioned that she said, what is in that glutamine? She said, I've been an alcoholic for years and I was about to go out. I was feeling a real urge to drink. And this was late at night. I was about to go out to the liquor store because I was out of alcohol. And I thought I would just try it, you know, like, why not? So she said, I opened up a capsule of glutamine, let it go, let it release under my tongue. And I don't believe it, but I didn't go to the store and I haven't had a drink since. Isn't that amazing? This woman was looking wow. at Lucy. She signed, her, she signed her name. The point is she learned that what she needed was glutamine, and that totally stopped her cravings. 